the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. God himself is a gracious God. Let's take a look at some scriptures here that will help us to understand this. Psalm uh, chapter 116 verse 5 says, the Lord is, what is he? He is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. You'll find that there are a lot of these words that are used together, and I'll kind of bring them together for us in just a moment. What I want you to understand that if it were not for the graciousness of God, because of the fact every one of us, we're undeserving of God's goodness, and we're undeserving of God's favor. I've never been good enough to make God love me, nor have you ever been good enough to make God love you. Not because you don't have certain elements that are nice as a person, but by the very nature that we all have, we are all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a rebel living inside of you and me. And that rebel living inside of you and me is that thing that pushes against God. And so by nature, we're sinners. And by nature, we, we resist God and we rebel against God. But God still has shown grace and shown mercy to us, even though that we are sinners. And if it were not for the gracious nature of God, we would have no hope of a relationship with him. Think about that for a moment. There's no way, because here is God up in heaven, and here we are down here on earth. This is us. And the problem is a really big problem between God and us, and it's with us. That problem is sin. Sin separates us from God. But because God is gracious, God now found a way to deal with sin. That's through the, through the atonement of Jesus Christ. We could talk about that another time in another setting. But he's reached down to us, and apart from this very thing called grace... We could never have a relationship with God. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Because of the Lord's great what? Love. You can also insert there the word grace because grace is a dimension of God's love. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions. Again, you could insert the word here, grace, because compassion is an expression of grace. His compassions never fail. So here we see, Jeremiah says in the book of Lamentations, if it were not for God's great compassion, his love, or his grace, we would be in trouble. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, perhaps you know this passage, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can 
boast. So what I'm wanting you to see is that the only way you and I can have a relationship with God is not by what we do. It is by the fact that God is a gracious God and he's found a way to reach down to us. We couldn't make our way up to him, but he made his way to us in the coming of Jesus Christ. So that's how and why we have a relationship with God. It's very, very important. Now, understanding this, we are now given a responsibility as well. And 2 Peter 3, verse 18 tells us now, having received this grace of God, and what is God's grace? His unearned, unmerited goodness and favor. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. We could never be good enough to get it. But God says, I'm going to give it to you anyway because I love you. I am gracious, and I'm going to save you by grace. But now, having received grace, anybody glad tonight that you received grace? Are you glad? I'm glad I've received grace. I'm glad that God didn't look at me and say, you've got to be good enough before I'm going to love you. You've got to be good enough, and then I'll love you. If you get good enough, I'll love you. But God didn't treat me that way, and God didn't treat you that way. God said, I'm going to love you in spite of your sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not suffer the consequences of their sin, but have everlasting life. And so God said, I'm going to love you even though you will never be able to earn my love. I'm going to give it to you anyway. I'm going to bring you into my family anyway. I'm going to forgive you of your sins anyway. I'm going to provide you opportunity for a new life in me, not because you have earned it, not by your works, but because I am a gracious God. But having received grace, how I many you know that when you receive a gift, you're responsible for the gift? Correct? Okay. Once you get something, you're responsible for it. Okay. So now having received grace, what are we to do in it? Right here, Peter tells us, but do what? Come on, church, help me out here, but do what? We've got grace, but now we need to grow in that grace, right? And so growing in the grace is two-dimensional. It's growing in the grace that is understanding more about God's grace to you and what that means to your life individually and how you relate to Him and a lot of things we'll talk about in a few moments. But it also involves you growing in the grace of expressing God's love to other people. And so grace is, it is vertical, but it's also horizontal. So if I'm going to grow in God's grace, I need to grow vertically in an understanding of how much God loves me, because the more I understand of God's love, the more I'm going to love him in return, and so that enhances my relationship with God, enhances my growth in God, and my understanding of God grows as I understand his grace, but also then I have to learn how to express that same grace to the people around me, and that's the horizontal dimension, but grow in the grace. There is an implied pro pronoun here, and the implied pronoun here, I like to remind people regularly, is you. But you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And so we're told to do this. We are responsible. You're responsible. I'm responsible for growing in grace. A lot of people think that Christian growth, you sort of sit back and it just happens. No, it doesn't. As you, you, you have to do some things in the 
process, you're involved in that journey. And so in this particular series, we're talking about how now to grow in grace in our relationships with one another. Now, what does this look like? This is where the rubber meets the road. So what does growing in grace look like? Look, the Bible tells us here in Ephesians 4.32. Here's an example of what it means to grow in grace. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God also forgave you. So if you're growing in grace, you're going to be a lot kinder, you're going to be more compassionate, and you're also going to be forgiving toward each other, just like God forgave you. We're going to come back to these in just a moment. What else does it mean to grow in grace? Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, an object of God's grace, clothe yourselves with compassion. Here's the word again, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So now he's expanding on here. Paul is, what does it mean to be a person of grace? I'm going to break all these out for you in a moment. This is just the introduction to tonight's message. Take a look at Colossians as well. Chapter four, let your conversation, that is what you say to people. Anybody as we've talked about before, does your mouth ever get you in trouble? Okay. Is what you say ever mess things up for you? Well, here we're told, how does grace affect this? Let your conversation be always full of what? Grace. You need to get some grace on your tongue. Amen? You need to get some grace in your mouth, okay? You need to get some grace inside what comes out of here, which means you got to get it in here because what's in your heart comes out of your mouth. And so you need to learn how to talk the language of grace. There's a language of grace and there's a language of judgment, okay? And so you've got to learn to speak the language of grace rather than speaking the language of judgment. I'm just, I'm going to digress for a moment, but Jesus had his harshest words to the Pharisees and the scribes of his day because they didn't know how to speak the language of grace. They always spoke the language of judgment. They were always condemning people and speaking negative about people and putting people down. No, Jesus came along and said, you don't even understand what love is all about. And so our conversation needs to be affected by this. First Peter chapter 3, verse number 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic. There's another word we haven't seen so far. Love one another, be compassionate and humble. He's building this sense of what does it mean to grow in grace. In Ephesians 4, Verse number two, be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing. There's another phrase there, with one another in love. We'll come back to those in a moment. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is, read it together, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. We could take all those words and wrap them around this one concept. This is the way to be a graceful person. Love, joy, peace, patience. That's forbearance is patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many of you would like to be around people like that? Amen? People who are full of love and full of joy and full of peace and patience, they're kind, they're good, they're faithful, they're gentle, they know how to control themselves. That's the kind of person that you'd like to be around, which means that's the kind of person you need to become so other people will actually like to be around you. Very vital. And uh, there's one other verse I'm going to give you here before we dive into the, the lessons of this evening. 
It's Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Here's the very direct call related to this. Be merciful, or we could also include the concept of grace here because grace and mercy always go together. Anytime you study the Bible, you'll find mercy and grace, grace and mercy. They're like twins, okay? They're like identical twins. They work together. There's not, you can't really have mercy without grace, and you can't really have grace without mercy. And so we can link this together. Be merciful or gracious, we might say, just as your Father is merciful. What Jesus is saying there, these are the words of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. So Jesus is saying this. He's telling us, your Father in heaven, I don't know what kind of Father you have had on earth, but he's saying your Father who's in heaven is what? He's merciful. He's gracious. He's helping us to realize that vertical dimension. This God that you serve is a father, but he's not a father of judgment. He's a father of grace. He's a father of mercy. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to be like your dad. I want you to learn who your dad is. The father in heaven, your heavenly father, I want you to get to know him. And then I want you to emulate, I want you to model the same kind of dad that you have. I want you to be like your dad. And your dad is merciful, your dad is gracious, your dad is loving, your dad is compassionate. So your kids ought to look like the dad, right? And so our Heavenly Father is merciful. We're called to do and be the very, very same. So first thing, gracious people, their identity is found in Jesus Christ, not in their accomplishments, their accumulation, or their acceptance by others. Most people in the world are trying to get their identity to establish who they are as a person by what they accomplish, by what they accumulate, or by some kind of acceptance of other people. That's where 99.9% of the culture lives. I want to be somebody because I've accomplished something. I've got some kind of title behind my name or I've accomplished something and people think I'm something because of what I've done or I've accumulated certain kind of material things and because I have this stuff, people look at me and say they're somebody because they have this stuff or I've been accepted by the right group and because of that, I have, I have now been put into a place of being approved of by others. What I want you to see is that all of those points of identity are all based in somebody's works. What can I do to earn identity? What can I do to earn the approval of others? And I will promise you, if you spend your whole life trying to earn a a confident identity from what you accomplish or what you accumulate or the acceptance by others, you're going to live a miserable life. You never will be secure. It is impossible to have a secure identity if you're always worried about your accomplishments because somebody's going to always out accomplish you. That's what's going to happen, okay? Take a look at all the sports figures. They, they get a record and you think nobody will ever break that record and next year somebody breaks the record. Somebody out accomplishes them. I mean, you go back and you look at some of the, uh, some of the basketball players or baseball players or football players or, or gymnastics or whatever you want to do. There's all, always somebody else coming along that's going to better what you've been able to do. Part of the reason of that's because they're standing on other people's shoulders. So life is getting better and opportunities are getting better. Accumulations, I promise you, I don't care how rich you are, somebody can eventually outrich you. 
How much stuff you got? You can pack warehouses full of stuff and somebody else is going to have another warehouse that you don't have. They'll have another diamond ring you don't possess. They'll have another house that you don't have. They'll have something else that you don't, and there's nothing wrong. By the way, please understand, there's nothing wrong with accomplishments. There's nothing wrong with accumulations. There's nothing wrong with being accepted by others. But what I'm telling you, you can't base your identity in that. Because if you base your identity in that, what is that going to do to your relationships? Think with me for a moment. If you're always trying to accomplish something, that means you're trying to beat somebody else. If you're always trying to accumulate, it means you're always trying to up something. You've got this competition going on in your life. If you're trying to be accepted, it means you're perhaps at times going to compromise certain things in your life for the sake of being accepted. And so it's going to affect every relationship of your life. I want you to know that you're somebody not because of what you do or what you accumulate or who thinks you're somebody. You're somebody because God says you're somebody, okay? God says, by grace has given you identity, and so you need to hold your head up high and say, I am a child of my Father God. I belong to Him. My identity is in the fact it doesn't, you take all that, you take all this away from me, all this away from me, and all this away from me, and I'm still secure. Why? Because my security is not based in those things, okay? That affects your relationships. It puts you on a grounding that gives you the ability then to love because you're, you, you can't experience or give love if these are your issues. Now, I've got to move on. I'll remind you of another passage here. First John chapter 4, verse 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. So you can't even love without knowing his love and being secure in that identity. I had no idea I was going to preach that much on number one. I promise we get through eight. So here we go. Number two, gracious people are humble and grateful, knowing the debt they owe to Jesus Christ. I tell you what you owe. You, you can never buy your salvation. Don't ever try to buy your salvation. It's a free gift. He gave it to you. Hallelujah. Jesus said, do you want to go to heaven? Do you want a new life in me? If you'll believe in me, you shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I offer that to you as a free gift. You don't have to. You don't. You owe me nothing. I paid for the whole thing for you. It's a gift given to you. Here you go. By faith, you receive grace. But now, having received that grace, even though I can't earn the salvation, I want to do everything I can to show my loyalty to Jesus Christ. How about you? Okay. I want to make. I. I want. I know that I owe my life to Jesus. Don't you? I owe my few, every part of my life is owed to him. Without, apart from him, I'm nothing. Apart from him, I can do nothing. Apart from him, life is meaningless. And so even though I'm not trying to pay him back, I still know that because I've been rescued from my... See, when you've been rescued by someone and you understand you've been rescued, you, you have loyalty to the one who rescued you. Amen? You have a loving relationship with the one who rescued you. And so gracious people are humble and they're what else? They're grateful knowing the debt they owe to Jesus Christ. Not trying to buy back their salvation, but responding to it in a positive way. Let me tell you something about people who are ungrateful just for a moment. Always remember this. and I won't take the time to write it up there. Pride and gratitude never go together. That's why I wrote humble and grateful. Did you hear what I just said? 
prideful people are never, are never grateful people. And anytime you see ingratitude in your own life, stop for a minute and say, wait a minute, maybe that's not really ingratitude. Maybe it's pride. Because pride says, I deserve this, I owe this, I did this for myself, I have this, I accomplished this, as we went back to number one. And I don't, I don't have to be thankful for anybody else because I did this for me, I, okay? And so it robs you of any sense of humility or gratefulness. And so prideful people are never grateful people, and certainly that's the opposite of humility. Let's go now to the third point. Gracious people, they seek to live in ways that please God, not out of what? Fear. Highlight that word. I'm going to come back to it. Not out of fear of punishment, but out of what? Love and appreciation for all he's done for them. This is what... This is the kind of person you want to become, okay? Because if you become this kind of person, you attract the right people into your life. If you've been, if your identity is solid in Jesus, it's not about what I accomplish or get or all that stuff. No, and second, I'm so grateful to Him for what He's done for me, and and now I, I just want to please God, not because I'm afraid He's going to get me. I'm fear of, I have a fear of punishment. No, I want to obey God because I just love and appreciate Him for what He's done for me. There's a lot of people that, don't, that because they don't understand this grace thing, they live in the fear of punishment. And so they obey God only because they're afraid God's going to get them. And there's a lot of people that live that way. And so every time they make a mistake in the journey, and by the way, you're going to make a mistake in your relationships with God. Did you know that? You're going to fail along the way. Everybody does. And I think that's part of the problem that sometimes with with pastors and teachers, we don't remind people, you're going to make some mistakes along the way. It's just real. Do you make some mistakes in life in general? Yeah. Did you learn to walk the first time you got up? No, you fell along the journey. And so I'm not in any way um, condoning that. I'm just making it a reality. And so if you live in the fear of punishment, when you fail, what are you going to do? You're going to hide. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did, right? They failed God. They were certainly afraid that they were going to get punished. And so they, they sewed fig leaves together, and they're hiding in the garden. And God comes over, Adam, where are you? And Adam and Eve were hiding from God. And that's what happens to people when you fail and you have a fear of punishment. You hide. You hide in different ways. You hide from God, and you hide from people, and you're afraid that God's going to catch you, and God's going to find you out, and God's going to tear you apart. That's how you live your life. And that's not God at all. In fact, the real re- re- uh, reality of this is that think about the prodigal son. When he failed, when he went away from home and messed up and lost all the inheritance, his dad gave him Luke chapter 15, and he decided to come back home. What happened was as he's on the way home, the father runs out into the road and meets him and throws his arms around him and puts a robe on his back and a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. That's the very opposite, see, of the fear of punishment. This changes everything about your relationship with God. It allows you to get up and keep going instead of giving up or running and hiding in some way. And if you're hiding, listen, if you're hiding from God, I promise you, you'll hide from people as well. Okay. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life. 
to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now. And it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.